So, uh, Tricia, why don't you stand up? So, she's the one that uh, invented, by God's grace, uh, this soul breakthrough. It's a unique combination of inner healing and the prophetic, and uh, it's just a, such an amazing thing. We have testimony after testimony uh, of people who've gone through this. Uh, it's like once a week for how many weeks, Trisha? Four, four weeks in, in, in July. And uh, so if you have any questions, you might want to ask her about it. Uh, we've just got testimony after testimony, and it's sort of like plugging in direct with the Holy Spirit, and just somehow or another we have this grace uh, just for lots of inner healing, I would say, and uh, outer healing too, but especially inner healing, strongholds, things that have hung you up for a while, maybe a sense of depression or some other things from your childhood or whatever it is, right? Quite a diversity, actually, isn't it? So I hear testimonies about this, like they do this in the summer, you know, for four weeks, and I hear testimonies about this all the time. And So where can they go again? I think we heard it in the thing, but next week you'll be back there registering for two weeks. You can also go to the Soul Breakthrough website. Right. What's the cost? <laughs> so $30, unless you're an alumni, and evidently we have a, quite a bit of re recycling, uh, re redoing, right? And a lot of them become leaders. So anyway, I just want to call attention to that ministry. It's really quite remarkable what God done, God's done every summer with that. And it's interesting to me that the prophetic ministries in our church are sort of heading that up and uh, getting into the inner healing area. It's fascinating to me. So, and... Um, it's works. I mean, it's work. I have so many testimonies I hear all the time about how God uh, dealt with people and encouraged them and strengthened them and gotten them out of a rut and actually healed their mind and their spirit and even their bodies as well. Well, speaking of all that, I want to go to Psalm 133. I want to talk about unity and how good and pleasant it is, and we see this in this Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So I want to talk about that today and uh, the power of unity and, and how uh, that works. It's like precious oil poured upon the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon, which is a mountain in Israel, were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And Mount Zion is figurative in this case. It's a, a real place. It was where Jerusalem was, but it's the Lord's people. The Lord blesses God's people, even life forevermore. So this thing of uh, living together in unity is pretty powerful. I like everything I read there. How about that, you guys? You like that, what you just read there? That's pretty good, right? So it's interesting because um, our well-being, usually we think of as coming directly from the Lord, but also, as we see in page after page of the New Testament, our well-being is also dependent on the supernatural activity that actually comes through us. And so I don't know why God likes to limit himself that way. You know, we'd rather get it direct. But I'd say a huge amount of provision, whether it's healing or something else, uh, comes through other people. That's why it's called the body of Christ. So obviously when the body of Christ is working properly, then we have a possibility for all kinds of things to happen, right? When part of the body of Christ is broken or not work, walking right, you know, a disharmony, maybe one leg's too short, you know, and they're walking with a limp or whatever, and the body doesn't function like it should, but the, the sadness behind the body not walking together in unity is we miss blessing, right? We see it here. For there the Lord 
bestows the blessing. So anointing with oil, especially in the Old Testament, was used to symbolize God's authorization and empowerment of a king or other representative, such as a priest, for divine service. In the New Testament, we are called a royal priesthood. So we see both offices combined uh, into one uh, place, right, in the New Testament. We are royal, we have government in us, and we are also a priesthood, which actually, if you look at the Old Testament, puts us in pretty unique territory. It's pretty unique to be in this territory of a royal uh, priesthood. And, um, and there's some symbolism in it, but also there's some incredible reality I think is really, really important for us today. So I want to read from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. That means we're armed and dangerous, <laughs> right? We have the authority of royalty, but it's coming from the throne, right? We're priests that represent God in the earth. And so God doesn't leave us unequipped. We have authority as well. We are royal and a priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And by extension, you not only receive mercy, but the ability to give away mercy because you are a royal priesthood, right? So it turns out that when God's people live <clears throat> together in unity, it's pleasant. For there, the Bible says, the Lord bestows his blessing, his anointing, right? Again, so let's read it, Psalm 133 again, just the first few verses in case it kind of went over your head. These are some of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible and hopeful as well. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So there's a promise. So if we can figure out how to live together in unity, humble ourselves to do that, then behind it, it's like the precious oil. It's like the oil poured down on the head, running down on the beard. So the anointing for the priesthood and the royalty, the government of the country, when the oil came, uh, the literal oil, it uh, equipped them. It put them in a place of authority, right? So now we get the oil of God, right? We're anointed there. The Lord bestows his blessing on we as the body of Christ. We are a royal priesthood. And so as we're going to read in just a moment, when Acts chapter 2 came, it was their anointing time. It inaugurated the church. But it wasn't just one anointing time, was it? It was the beginning of all kinds of anointing that would actually be a habit. That's why Paul says, receive the Holy Spirit, right? In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, basically there's a simple statement there. But it's very, very, very powerful, right? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to pick him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not equally, I mean, it's not uh, quickly broken. So it's a simple statement of the way things work, right? And if we look at Acts chapter 4, or 2, verses 42 to 47, we see that along with this passage I just met, right, which is real practical, it sounds really practical, but it has a powerful supernatural component to it because we are people of the Spirit. And again, this anointing oil symbolizing the Holy Spirit. So when we look at Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves, this is how the church started, to the apostles' teaching. But I want to get the sense of unity as we read through these pages, okay, because this is about 
us together, but not just us together in any old way, us together as one person, a holy nation. A holy nation. Ministering one to the other. And that unity part's really important for the anointing part. How about that? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were what? Together. And they had everything in common. Matter of fact, they were so together they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's a symptom of togetherness and unity is generosity. Right? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this sense of commonness, this sense of unity in the early church produced this blessing that we see in the Old Testament, Psalm 133, a pleasant, for there the Lord releases his anointing, releases his blessing, right? And so, uh, as we look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 12 again, it has this simple statement, two are better than one, right? And there are three things we see in those verses, going back there. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labors. So, there's provision, right? Two are better than one because there's provision. Man, I could just stay here and preach on this forever and ever. You know, sometimes it maybe look like, you know, as a pastor, we obviously want people to come to church and be together, you know, and obviously it would be pretty tough on me if nobody showed up. <laughs> you know what? And also it feels better when there's more, not less. I got to admit it. But the fact is that we together are better than one. We get a good return. And I've watched this through the years so many times, I cannot tell you how many about the good return for their labor, the provision. I see it literally every day, I would say maybe three times a week. So we're praying and praying and praying for someone, uh, uh, you know, for this to break through and that to break through. And then somebody else over here is the answer to that prayer. Has a bit of wisdom, maybe a bit of money, maybe even anointing to pray. Like, for example, when we do this breakthrough, right? Well, part of the reason why you're going to get a breakthrough is because Trisha got a breakthrough a long time ago. She needed a breakthrough, and she found some keys that really helped her, right? So whatever is flowing on her and then the team that's come out of that, then will flow to everybody else, right? So there's provision that comes. Wow, I just wish I could somehow transplant my brain into your brain. Not all of it. You wouldn't want all of it. You would just want the good memory section. <laughs> so let's just call the good memory section. And from those good memories, I've just seen every kind of provision and grace. I am now convinced more now than ever, uh, I'm in my 45th year of ministry, I think. I am convinced now more than ever that provision comes through the body of Christ. He designed it that way. That's why I called it the body of Christ. The body of Christ doesn't lay there dead, not doing anything. You're living and active, full of the Spirit. His death and resurrection were to produce many Jesuses. That's why we call ourselves Christians, right? So to unplug from the church, from the body, or not be closely associated with it is really dumb, you know? Find a place where you can come and make friends while you're there. Don't just come to a service. Join. Go farther up on all the places where you can go farther up on the island. Don't just stay on the beach. Because you might just find further up on the island, there's 
like banana trees and water, fresh water. The ocean, there's only coconut trees and salt water. You might find there's some natives up there that have a hut that you could live in for a while. You might find refreshing, right? All of us are different, too. Some of us have all our financial things taken care of just fine. But we have gaping holes in us, things that need to be healed. Someone who might just come along with just the right amount of advice or just the right prayer that they pray that heals the outside and the inside, right? So we're better together, and we're better as one. When we're together as one, we see these promises of Scripture. There's the promise also of protection. If either one of them falls down, but if either of them falls down, one can help the other. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone, especially in these times? You know, uh, um, I just think especially in these times, uh, we need to find one another in real fellowship, real belonging. It's not a complicated question. You could just wash up on this shore, the Sunday morning thing. But if you just hang around a little bit, you'll meet people. But there's other kinds of opportunities that we always have, whether it's a Wednesday night thing or this thing that's coming up. There's always things. Just watch. There's opportunity for fellowship and belonging, closeness. Volunteer for something, any way you can find. Look through the bulletin, whatever, you know. Ask somebody. Ask our leaders. Say you, you have a particular interest. You don't have any interest. You just want to volunteer somewhere, whatever it is. It's very, very powerful because the thing is also there's this dynamic. Give and it shall be given to you. When you find yourself practically giving to others, you get back. You get back. Oh, how powerful the provision and the protection of the people of God. How good and pleasant it is when they dwell together in, in unity. And I'm just telling you, um, this gets uh, very, very dramatic. It's powerful. You see the word power there, right? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's very powerful. <clears throat> in Genesis 11, 5 to 9, God took away this anointing of unity, and it's a very odd scripture passage. It goes way back to toward the beginning of everything, right? And the interesting thing is there's a revelation there because these people began to build this tower, you know, of, uh, that was uh, completely illegal in God's sight. And so the Lord comes down to see this tower they were building to heaven. You know, they were all engaged in a spirit of unity. But the spirit of unity was going the wrong direction, and he knew how powerful that was, right? They didn't want him because they were going as far away as possible from him. You can do that in unity, too. You know, bad morals corrupt good company, right? Or is that the way the scripture goes? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> we know all about that. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Wow. Why don't we just flip that around? Nothing will be possible for them. I suppose he's talking about no level of iniquity <laughs> will be out of reach. But let's just flip that. No amount of righteousness will be out of our reach. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not even understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all, over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the, the, the whole earth. He did not want unity there. 
because that kind of unity that was negative unity was going to destroy it even more than it had been destroyed. But if that works in the negative, how much more does it work in the positive, right? Now, as the people of God, I think there's a way that we, you know, there's all kinds of levels that we could do with regard to unity, and I think that's important to realize. But I like to think of the unity just in the simplest dimensions, right, which I think is really, really important. And that's just that uh, at the simplest level, it's in your family, right? And then moving out there from other people you know and friendship and then your church. Now, the third thing about the church is there the Lord commands the blessing with the people of God. Where two or three gather together, there I am in their midst. So we're a unique entity. Whereas God's dispersing evil, he's actually coming to live with those that are together. People underestimate this all the time. They underestimate. The devil didn't. That's why you had the COVID crisis. My guess is it's not only like this physical weird thing that got out of some weird label, a, a laboratory, but it was to disperse the people of God. And looking back on it, as I think about it, I'm, I'm pretty proud of some of the churches that responded in this hour and kind of leading me and pulling me along. Churches that are very different from me in terms of our vision, our values and stuff, but had the common value, the common unity of let Jesus be lifted up. Right, and I tell you, I was—I I just don't think I've ever been so proud and, and actually so surprised by certain things uh, that I saw in this last time, and the bravery and the courage—it was remarkable. It was amazing to me, and I, I learned so much from people that are very much different than me, you know, and and the temperament, and also the way they um, think, even some of their theology. But but I learned a big lesson from them. And never underestimate the body of Christ, even though they don't believe maybe necessarily all the little things that you do. But if they know Jesus and they're walking with God and they love the Word of God, I think that's close enough. And I think we're going to find out as time goes on, as we move deeper, deeper into world history, we're going to find that to be so true, more and more true. They may not be your flavor. They may be strawberry vanilla, but they're still ice cream, right? <laughs> Look at Validicus. Uh, <laughs> I never called it Validicus before. <laughs> Leviticus 26, uh, 3 to 8. <laughs> Consider what happens with the possibility of corporate, corporate obedience and unity. We, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. So I'm going to read these verses. If you follow my decrees and are faithful to obey my commands, verse 3, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. So somebody's got to be around obeying God's commands. Talk about food shortage. You know, it's so interesting. So even as I'm watching the news, I'm freaking out over this, freaking out over that. But I have to remember some of these passages. We are the ones that make the world taste good. God will make an exception to judgments and things if the people of God just stay the people of God. Right? Because we have this thing called prayer. <laughs> and it turns out that when you agree in prayer, you cause all kinds of things to shake loose. We are the salt and the light of the world. Are we or not? Are we not? If we are the salt and the light of the world, then we just need to keep being the salt and the light of the world, right? Very comforting, isn't it? But look what it says here. This is the people of God. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands... I will send you rain in its season. So the obedience of the people of God has something to do with droughts 
and rain. It's a little dry out there, so let's start praying for rain again. We've seen that before, how God responds to that. Out a big field one time during the drought, remember that? We prayed for rain with all the other churches, and it began to rain. And from that moment forward, did you know that drought was broken? It began to rain more and more and more. Just from that, it wasn't just that moment, but it was in that general time frame. I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops, and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and grape harvest will continue until planting, and you eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. Um, I like that scripture. How about you guys? I mean, we've got all these things threatening us, you know, food shortages and supply. I don't even know what a supply chain is exactly still. Oh, supply chain, supply chain. I'm running around like I know exactly what that means. <laughs> supply chain, all I know is not good. Just run for your lives, everybody, run. <laughs> and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I like that part. How about that one? We're going to find the people of God, and especially when they live in unity, are different. Very, very different. I will grant peace in the land, and will, you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I was just looking at that thing, and I'm going, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Five chase 100. How, how many? That's 20 times. What do you get if you're 100? You get 100 times. I had to do the math a little bit. 100 times 100 is 10,000. Why, why when you get 100, why do you get 100 more? <laughs> I don't know. Ask the parable of the talents. You just get more. So... This multiplication factor, when more of us are walking with God in the spirit of unity, we get more. We get 100 times more. So the more of us that are walking together in unity, the more we're going to get. 100 times. This other thing's only 20 times. You get it? Which, boy, I tell you, when I read that, I get so convicted because I, I feel like I've, I've lived a little bit too isolated from the other churches. Because if these passages are true, we need everybody on deck. Okay, they might not smell the way you want them to smell all the time. They might look this way or that way or different patterns. But still, at the base, they walk with Jesus. And as long as they're walking with Jesus and obeying his word, there's something there that we have mightily in common. And the worse the enemy gets, the more we're going to realize that. So let's just realize it now and be friendlier, <laughs> right? And more open and start praying for other believers, other churches, other pastors, other leaders. So if you look at Roman numeral 2, it says, God has brought together a mighty nation, the church. It is. We are the salt and the light of the earth. We are the holy nation among the nations. And uh, we read about that in Matthew chapter 5. And I just think it's, it's so interesting, not just the, the, the thought that God would look at us that way, but, but just the practicality of it. You are the salt of the earth. What does the salt do? It, it makes the world taste good. So if the world starts tasting lousy, whose responsibility is it? Us. It said, actually, interesting, the salt of the earth. These other people aren't necessarily salt. They're the things of God. Maybe they're salt. But we are the salt, right? We are the light of the world. You douse us, and the world gets dark indeed. You turn us up, 
The light bulb goes on, the world gets better. See, there's tremendous hope and faith in these. We just have to be who we are, right? And unity is key to this, even within a fellowship like this. So our light shines brighter when all the light bulbs are on. Only half of the light bulbs are on the church. It's not good, right? So that's why we need to help other people. We have a, an interest in making sure that everybody's light bulb is on. Everybody. We have, this is our part of our job description, right? And here's an interesting thing. The more light bulbs we have, evidently, the more light we shine, right? By a magnification factor, evidently. We just saw that, right? So it makes things very, very interesting. The church is one in spirit, but by di diverse in language and culture. And I just got to say that uh, it's so important for us to understand this because um, we have this tendency of having birds of a feather flock together. That's kind of natural, right? But if you look at the church and the way it's put together, there's such a diversity. And uh, so from this standpoint, welcoming all kinds of people in, all kinds of gifts, all kinds of races, all kinds of uh, different kinds of people, right? It's so powerful when it happens because if we only get one of a certain way, we don't get all the diversity. We don't get what they have in them to give to us, right? That's how the Bible says. So when God brings different kinds of people that are way different than us, we need to take a look at that and go, whoa, hmm, how are you going to make my life better? <laughs> you have something to offer that... I don't. You know things I don't. And we should actually make take the time to find out what it is they have that we don't know about. One of my great joys with regard to my classes that I do on Wednesday is I get to meet people. And I'm meeting all the newer people. You know, not all of them, but a good number of them. And just by knowing them and just spending that 12 weeks with them, I get to know them a little bit. And I just love the diversity. I love to see who God's bringing in. I love to see what's there. And there's just so many amazing gifts that haven't been unwrapped even for our church yet. And hopefully all that we're doing with regard to our church and the opportunity to serve and to be in various places, home groups, small groups, any kind of serving at the warehouse, any kind of opportunity that comes up, any kind of the classes that we do, you know, all the prophetic classes, all the classes that, that uh, uh, Kent and Kathy do with the uh, healing and uh, and uh, emotional strengthening one another and counseling, uh, everything from Celebrate Recovery, you name it. We've just got a long list of places that you can contribute and places that you can actually be contributed to. And that's the nature of the body of Christ. And as far as I can tell, the more the better. When the day of Pentecost came together, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues, the fire that separated and came to, reach on, came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other par in the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. There's a reason why he's going down this list. The Bible thinks it's just wondrous. They think it's amazing. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what in the world does this mean, right? Which was the main question right there. 
Some of them, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. <laughs> then Peter, he stood up with eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These guys aren't drunk, as you suppose, which I always think is so funny that though it's the first sermon there, these guys aren't drunk. I just think that is so funny. Of all the things he could have said, these guys aren't drunk. I mean, does God do things different than we do? I mean, I would have made it really polished and really good, you know. This is the beginning, the very first sermon. Okay, quiet down. We're not really drunk. Okay, got that? Okay, let's go on. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people. Your sons and your daughters. Your young men, your old men prophesying, seeing visions, dreaming dreams. And on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Both men and women, inclusion, diversity, beautiful thing of the Holy Spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And I am sick and tired of the world stealing that term diversity and polluting it and making it something that it isn't. I'm so tired of it. This is one of our best words. <laughs> diversity. It's beautiful. All of us, empowered our own special giftings. I hate this perversion stuff. Lord, we just take back the word diversity in Jesus' name. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will return to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now here's the thing. All that's going on. Guess what? And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So we're all given the one spirit to drink, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. And this gift is for everyone who turns to Jesus. That's why we see in Acts chapter 2, the very end of it, he says, when the Lord heard this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all who, whom the Lord our God will call. What a beautiful passage. All, everybody, right? The result is a holy nation, able to accomplish God's end-time purposes on the earth. God's end-time purposes. And we see these end-time purposes in various uh, uh, fashions and forms in the scriptures, but I love this one the most. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And you know what's coming next, my little plug about the nations, right? <laughs> You've been here. I, I talk about them constantly because it's the key. The whole nations, nations, not geographical nations. Turns out there's thousands and thousands of biblical nations. These are people that have common culture, common language. So there's thousands of unreached nations. There's some 20,000 unreached biblical nations in the world. And a huge number of them are in India. Most of them are in India, believe it or not. So there's whole nations, whole tribes and tongues of people within the nation of India that have never heard the name Jesus yet. Not just a few. Millions. And I would maybe say even to the place of a billion, maybe not that high. I'd say hundreds of millions. It's a very lost place. One reason is because of its diversity. It's isolated. They isolate by culture. More diversity in the whole world than, uh, than any other country in the world. Matter of fact, what we know is the church growth movement 
which talks about enculturating so that people can find their way into the church and all that. It grew out of missionaries from India who found out that actually birds of a feather flock together. If they would preach the gospel and could enculturate it, put it in their own tongue and language, then the people would come to Christ. If they didn't, there were barriers. It was difficult for them to get through, right? One thing they didn't know as much about, they know about Morna, is you know what also demolish a few barriers? Go raise the dead in somebody's village. It really helps. Hey, let's get a translator. i got to hear more of what this guy has to say. <laughs> By the way, bring Betty and Sam and all the other people that are crippled. We need to have some healing. <laughs> and so that's what's happening to us in India and other parts of the world, right? So it's the great translator. But nevertheless, eventually they're still going to need this Bible in their own language, in their own tongue, right? Right, And this is part of the holy nation. It's, it's what we are as a church. It's part of what we do reaching all the nations of the earth. And so the nations of the earth, these biblical nations, when all of them are reached, evidently, according to Matthew 24, 14, then the end will come. So I don't know about Antichrist. I don't know about this and that. I, you know, we have some sightings here and bad stuff there. But we know how close we are when all these nations, all these places that will not come to Christ without the gospel in their own tongue and language. We don't even understand what that means. We think, well, there's Spanish spoken here, there's English spoken here. But in a place like India and other parts of the world, there's literally thousands of languages. That, uh, and they need the Bible translated in those places and across other nations as well, right? So the gospel needs to go to those places as well. Look at John on chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray, this is Jesus praying, also for those who will believe in, the, in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this unity of the brothers then becomes a voice one church, one spirit, one voice to the nations in our area. In other words, they'll know we're Christians by the way we love one another. So our unity is very, very evangelistic. Very, very evangelistic. I think that probably the number one issue with regard to our evangelism is that we learn to live together, love one another. We learn to stay in unity ourselves. And when we're not, one thing that happens is our enemy, who's on the other side of this equation, busy causing division, gets in and messes everything up. He sucks the power out of us. He sucks the life out of us. The anointings disappear. You see what I'm saying? So this is a big deal, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. So we see in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, in the beginning, this is what the Spirit wants to do in every church and every nation. So this is the way it began, Right? This whole picture, and I read those verses, right? Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. So isn't it interesting how this Holy Spirit started? The world was broadcasting. He was broadcasting from Jerusalem, but he was also broadcasting to the nations. And many, many nations are represented there. I mean, he goes through this list. Mesopotamia, Medes, Elamites, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene. It's, they go through the list, and it's not by accident. Because this is what the Spirit wants to do in every church and every nation. But the greatest challenge for the church is we see the church begin to explode in this unity. And guess what they were doing? 
They were, meeting, they were eating bread together. They were meeting from church house to house. No one claimed that even their possessions were their own. And so the unity even reached their pocketbook, which was amazing. And then it didn't do so good in the pocketbook. And something bad happened. Just to tell you how God values unity. And let me just say this. I'll just say this. I don't want to sound too spooky. But whatever you do in your church journey, whatever you do, don't be the cause of disunity. I mean, I don't care what church it is. Just be real careful how you treat that one. Don't mess with that. <laughs> That's one you probably want to stay away from. Even if you feel like you're right, you've got to be real careful how you walk these things out, right? And we see it here. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. You know where I'm going with this. Now, honestly, I've read that story, and I'm thinking, wow, that was, I didn't think that was that bad, do you? I mean, <laughs> Sorry, Lord, I don't but I just, you know, I mean, honestly, when you read it, with this, I mean, it's a, here God's doing a big exclamation point. And you know what the exclamation point about is? It's not about money. It's not about Joe Smo over here being disappointed because Joe was actually acting like he was giving more. These people are sacrificing. You know, it wasn't about inequity. It was about unity. They were messing with this precious thing. The Spirit's there with power, right? And this person lied. And we're cheapening the anointing, the grace of God, the exclamation point on unity. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the, t the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So he sold a piece of property. He gives some of the money, but he's pretending like he gave all the money. Right? But everybody around was giving precious gifts. It's okay if you give part. Just don't pretend like it's all, Right? But in this environment, it offended somehow the heart of God. And but it's the unity part. It, it's the togetherness part. It was the, the what was happening is the anointing was resting, but what was keeping the anointing there was the the unity of the brothers and sisters, the togetherness. How many churches have lost an anointing because of disunity? My goodness, how many areas, how many regions have lost the anointing of God because of disunity? Sometimes it's hard to figure out how to walk through this. But I'm convinced that the Spirit will show you a way, will show you where the boundary lines are, right? This evidently was a boundary line for that uh, current move. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the, for the Lord? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? You could have all of it if you wanted. After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Do whatever you want. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied, but to human beings, but to God, he, he, was depend, he was pretending like he gave everything, but he only gave part of it, right? When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Whoa. So I guess this subject's pretty important. Unity, how good and pleasant it is, right? <laughs> supposed to be, anyway, right? When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Well, if that wasn't enough... About three hours later, his wife came in, came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you put, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside 
her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Evidently, unity is a little higher on God's uh, list of priorities than maybe we give that credit for. And it's just so important. Stories like this help us to understand, right? It's a, an amazing, really quite remarkable story uh, there. And so, um, anyway, so the greatest challenge for church is always division. So Ananias and Sapphira is one of those. And then the interesting thing is this anointing. So many of us know what happened in the early church, and maybe for years and years, ever since I began to examine the early church, and I saw people talking about how literally it could come to pass, you know, and how we could see this anointing, and, and uh, you know, and so I, I don't know about you, but in the 70s, like I was, we were experimenting with being in kind of communal living and everybody sharing their food with one another. And it was really a beautiful thing, actually, and uh, and so uh, I remember so succinctly about that, and, and at my young age, uh, not owning anything, it sounded like a great idea. <laughs> But if you made to own a little bit more, it's not such a great idea, right? <laughs> or at least you want to temper it a little bit. But it was, from the heart, it was something that I, I believe that uh, this whole thing that we see and the way they were progressing and moving, everybody, there were signs and wonders and miracles are breaking out. The church is absolutely exploding, a, a beautiful church. And then Ananias and Sapphira come to mess it up, but God removes that real fast. And then something else came. So... It was culture. Now, culture has never stopped messing with unity. It's been around forever, but here's the original story. So there were Jewish women in need, widows. Uh, people have lost relatives or lost husbands or whatever. And then there were Gentile, not Gentile, there were Jewish people who were not Hebrew-speaking. So they had two categories of people. Because at the festival, Hebrews, Jews were coming from all over the place right, from all the nations. But when they got saved, they just stayed, right? So they stayed in Jerusalem. So they had a real big financial problem. They knew it was the explosion of the church, so nobody wanted to leave. The only problem was these people were from all different backgrounds, and some of them Hebrew wasn't even their first language, right? They were speaking a whole different language and barely knew Hebrew. So then you can imagine, and these apostles are Hebrew, right? They're there in Israel. So the people that were Gentile, were believers... Jewish, but from another nation, felt a little outside, right? Then they thought there was some discrimination going on, and so the devil tried to get at the church by disrupting the unity again. It's very interesting. This beautiful explosion, what's the enemy trying to do? He tries to get into the disunity. That's why the enemy, how the enemy is trying to destroy our country right now. So the thing is, uh, we're so polarized right now, and I think we should say something about this. Because um, there actually are real dimensions of real facts and real problems and real iniquity and really bad, bad things that are not true being said, right? And we have our society just so polarized. But I tell you, one thing the Lord showed me about this is that the Spirit has this way of helping you navigate those waters. So what you have to do is you have to follow the Lord and not go beyond the boundaries the Lord gives you, right? And especially, I think, in the area of our attitudes. Truth is truth, right? But how we display truth, how we respond to others, especially in our immediate family, is critical. Love is always in place. Sometimes people say such stupid things, at least in my mind and heart, that I just want to throw them out, you know, reject them, think of them as evil, right? 
And some of the things they say are just downright evil. I mean, there's no other way around that, right? Evil is evil, right? But how we respond to that evil is actually pretty important. So could I just give you some wise advice? Love your families while they're being evil. And maybe in your mind, not really smart. Love them. Anyway, they're your family. They're going to be with you a while. These philosophies and things, you know, <laughs> and the way you think your, your views may even change a little bit over time. Their views may change. But in the meantime, what they're going to remember is, well, how you love them despite the differences. And that's a hard thing to do. And also, sometimes it's not quite that easy because sometimes we have to make decisions that aren't so great. That's why I've been paying attention these days a lot to my inner person. Uh, that's why I love the whole concept that we talk about all the time, love of the Father, because compassion will give you the right wisdom, the right thing to say, right? Even if it's hard, if you do it in compassion, from the spirit of compassion, you'll always be on the right side of it. And so I think what we need to find is find that love on the inside of us. We have to find that deep space. That's why we talk about the love of the Father and stuff so much, because it helps us navigate different situations. But getting back to our story, it's so interesting. The greatest challenge for the church is always division. This is 2E on your outline, right? And so first we have this thing that happens, Ananias and Sapphira, right? And then second thing that happens is this whole issue with the, with the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrew Jews. So in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. They needed this daily distribution of food because they had come from all over the place and they had to find a way to support everybody. It was the new church. They didn't quite know what to do how to go home or not go home or whatever. And so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention uh, to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Notice he said, to the Spirit and wisdom. That's a great word for us. We need to be full of the Spirit and wisdom on how to deal with outsiders, how to deal with people in our own family, how to deal in the church, right? But the thing is, whenever there's a trial, if you just give it a moment, whenever there's a division, there's a proper time and procedure for everything. So instead of reacting too quickly, just try to find that right proper time and procedure. What, what would God have you do? In some cases it might be to tell the truth tell in a certain way, maybe quite directly. In other ways, it may not be that at all. It may just say nothing, right? But the Spirit will guide you because He's very interested in this thing as we're talking about unity. He's very, very interested in how good and pleasant it is. But He'll help you find your way and navigate this way. And He'll teach you. By the way, if you mess up, don't worry. Just say, God, I messed up. You know, and then maybe tell the person you're sorry or whatever, but just try to get back on track, right? Matter of fact, honestly, I think with regard to this unity thing, whether it's for believers or unbelievers or our households or whatever, I think we're all in training. Matter of fact, I think it would be better for us to look, act like learners now, not like we know it all. I think know it all is probably not a good thing right now. Let's just figure, we've never been this way before. We have not been this way before. I mean, would you agree? This is a weird time. I don't think we've been quite this way before. I mean, maybe somewhere in the history, but I don't know. I don't think we've quite been this way before. So let's let the Lord help us. He'll teach us, right? So they got a word of wisdom. They actually got wisdom. They said, you know what? 
here what we'll do is we'll select these guys. And they selected these guys, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles. They laid their hands on them. And so some of these people were from in town, and some of these people were from out of town, right? And then it, look at this. Here's the key. Look at this. Verse 7. And so the word of God spread. I just think that's interesting. So the word of God spread. The result of that is the word of God kept on going. It could have gotten smaller. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly from this point. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is a big deal. Evidently, this unity in the early churches is beginning exploding. This ideal thing had a couple of hiccups. And in the hiccups, they negotiated properly through the Spirit. And as they did that, and the, God gave a practical word of wisdom in a time of division, wow, the church keeps on going. And just maybe your family keeps on going. There's nothing like a word of wisdom. As long as it's God, even though it hurts maybe a little bit, or maybe it's, it comes back in the end and blesses, if there might be a temporary thing. So it's very difficult. And I just, uh, I'm saying this with all fear. You know, I know, not fear, and I'm afraid, but the fear of God. Because I know many of us are going through some really hard times with this whole thing with uh, division and separation. You know, even in the church, it's the same, right? Even amongst Christians, it's, it's, it's all this. Lord, we here now pray for wisdom. And everybody in this room, I just pray for a very specific word of wisdom for your family situation, for your job situation, for your church situation. Lord, I pray you give us words of wisdom. We just ask you that you would give us compassionate words that you would reveal us further. Father loves the Son, the Bible says, and shows him what he's doing. I love that. When God loves us, when he brings his compassion to us, then he shows us what he's doing. So that's a sign. But what you must do may be hard, maybe. Or it may be easy. I don't know. And I'm not sure which direction it goes, but, oh, if we commit this thing to unity and ask God to help us. Can you imagine, God, please show me how to be equitable. Lord, please show me how to do it your way. I think God's up there. No way! <laughs> I ain't telling you that. I'm not going to give you a hint about that. Sometimes we get so desperate. The reason why we get so desperate is because we get so fearful we swallow this fear pill and we start getting into the, instead of stepping outside of the current of division, we, we just jump right in there. So be careful whose current you're jumping into. <laughs> sometimes I think sometimes the guys in the news got really ticked off because somebody called them a bad name. So they divide like 10 minutes of the whole broadcast and make sure they annihilate this guy on television, right? You know what I mean? So here we are, yeah, yeah. We don't even know anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Go poke him in the nose, you know. Then you get on the other channel. This guy's fighting back, you know. Hmm, awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Pretty soon we're all confused, right? So I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that's confused around here. But I sure think unity sounds really good and pleasant, so let's try to at least get it right in our own families and church, right? So Roman numeral three, the nuclear reactor in the heart of every church. God intends for nothing to be impossible for those who come together in Jesus' name. So Matthew 18, of course, is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It just has so much promise to it. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. A you is a plural. Whatever you together loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything, there it is again, they ask for it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So, like, would two be a husband and a wife? 
the scripture works there? How about between a brother and a brother, a sister and a brother, family members? What? All we have to do is have two, evidently. So that's the new. Look what it says. Anything they ask, anything? For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So then there's a the gathering part. So let's purposely gather together to pray. How about that? I'll tell you what. This is our main weapon for offense and defense in the world. Pray with your family. Pray with others. Some of my favorite prayer meetings are producing so much fruit right now. I'll tell you what. If I could just think of one thing to navigate in this time is this prayer part of agreement. And our, our business prayer meeting is one of my favorites because of all the uh, things that are going crazy up and down and everything, and then we're just agreeing and fighting with one another, praying with for one another and praying for each other and agreeing in prayer, even like on the live stream, I mean on the Zoom. It's amazing. We're just seeing the fruit of that right and left. It's so amazing. Boy, I tell you what, once you get in the flow of it, and so I get in the flow of it, especially because I'm always listening for answers and I'm writing them down. So I just live and answer prayer constantly because I'm listening to these 50 other people talk about their answers, right? So if I don't got my own, I just surf theirs. <laughs> Serving their hands, man, did you hear what God did for that guy, man, you know. And then I have to remember, hey, I'm not chopped liver, you know. God cares about me too, right? I never, I've always said chopped liver. Does anybody like liver here? Maybe liver is better than I think. Okay, so yeah. So, see, I'm div being divisive there. P other people like liver, but anyway, I don't know. Whoever said that obviously didn't, right? <laughs> All right. So, what does it mean uh, to agree, right? That's where it will be done for them. It says, if you to agree. That actually word, if I remember my, my Greek there a little bit, it literally means uh, harmony. It, it means, uh, in, in verse 20, uh, uh, this gathering is also a very powerful thing, just literally coming together, I think. But this agreeing means, I think, first of all, you just got to get in the same proximity with one another, right? I think that's kind of important. And uh, so whether it's Zoom or some other way, and I thank God for that because with the COVID thing and all things that was happening, we sort of took advantage of that time, uh, I mean, that, that vehicle to, to keep agreeing together. And I think it's been very, very powerful and really a gift from the Lord in some ways, right? But in verse 44 of Acts 2, all the believers were together and had everything in common. So I just think this together praying to come together, right? That's what it means to agree. You come together. You literally come together. You actually exchange prayer requests. You actually pray for one another, right? That's agreeing, I think. It also means to relationally harmonize. That's the word symphoneo that I love so much. It's, remember, that sounds like, like a, um, a symphony, right? So that's what it means to agree. It's the word symphoneo, harmonize. And I think with our prayer meetings, um, you ever been in a prayer meeting where you're praying for something? And I tell you, the best part of a prayer meeting is if you're gathered there around a specific cause and you're really for the person you're praying for. That's when you start really going for it, right? And you can do that even if you don't know them very well, especially if you feel sorry for them or the experience. But we're like a symphony when we pray. And many of our prayer meetings right now are like that. Oh, find a symphony prayer meeting. Find two or three wherever. They have a wonderful, wonderful women's prayer meeting that is so amazing on Fridays. Anywhere where you have a prayer meeting, just, just think about on the end of this what the promise is and what the promise is when you're in harmony and praying together. 
Um, that prayer meeting they're doing with the women, you know, every Friday is just amazing. I, I get jealous sometimes. I, I hang around, listen. They don't know it. I'm listening in the inside a little bit. I'm, I'm just curious. You know why I'm curious? It's not because I really care about what they're praying about that much. It's sort of like some things that I don't even understand half the time what they're praying about. But to be honest with you, uh, as a male of the species, but I like the way they're fighting with one another. Fight, I'm sorry, for one another. <laughs> not, not with each other. No, 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 no. <laughs> for two or three, gather in my name. There am I with them. So there he is. God's with them. And he's with them every Friday. And the business parent, he's with us every Wednesday. We're harmonizing. But this is powerful. We're using the power of unity, fighting for one another, blessing one another, to cause great things to happen. That's why this nuclear reactor is so powerful that we're talking about, right? Wow. And then before that, Right? Look what he says in verse 15 of Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, then they have a process. Take every matter. But they're working the process out instead of leaving, right? If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to eat of the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. So what he's saying there is, this is not like, unity is not like um, without teeth. But it's a proper process. Right, you go through to try to bring some harmony. To, as far as it's dependent on you, the Bible says, be at peace with everyone. Sometimes it's not dependent on you. So I don't want to be like uh, all like uh, a too um, out there with that. But I still think, wow, if you just look at the, uh, the return on coming together in unity, and especially as we pray together, it's, it's actually pretty dramatic, isn't it? Right? And then if you look at James chapter 5, Verses 16 to 20, we see again uh, another direction this goes. And it's just, uh, so powerful. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So for years and years, I've taken the other part where it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I just focus on that, right? But what about the first part? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Oh, wow. Healing. I get healed? I confess my weakness, and I get healing out of it. This prayer of a righteous person that's listening to me confess, or I'm listening to them confess, wow, that's worth the price of admission right there, right? Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one, even he, listen to this. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So he's just saying, you know, as, as best we can, we should be responsible for one another, responsible to one another if we make a mistake and responsible for others just to help them. And how we get them out of that place is important. We just have to learn how to do that in the spirit. But God's with us. And if we do all this, we're talking about Elijah-type activity here. I mean, causing that to rain and causing it to rain. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger. Do you see the contrast here? Confess your sins. Be weak with another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. This unity that comes from that weakness in prayer, the prayer that Bible calls that a righteous person. It's powerful. It's effective. Wow. Then we talk about Elijah all of a sudden. And he just talks about bringing a person back who's 
wandered. And of course, in a spirit of gentleness, as best you can, and sometimes that person that's wandering off is us, right? Forgiving and loving one another. If you look at Matthew chapter 18, these are all characteristics of, of, of unity, right? Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Because <laughs> he's saying this and it's blowing their mind. He can't, you know, whoa. <laughs> and, you know, things keep, Jesus kept saying, so he thinks he's being generous. He knows generous, Jesus is a pretty generous guy, so he says, well, like if I forgive him seven times, do I get in there, you know? <laughs> I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You go, oh, no. <laughs> So you can see what God's heart is here, <laughs> right? It's right on the heels of this part where we're talking about agreeing and answered prayer, right? Now I'm way down at the bottom of your outline if you haven't figured it out yet, right? Very bottom. Agreeing means to thoroughly believe in our prayers to bind and loose in Jesus' name. Again, I truly tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So here's a mystery, and I'll finish on that. How is it those closest to us, especially married couples, don't turn their agreement into miracles? If anybody should be agreeing with one another and have the power to pray, it should be married couples, wouldn't you think? We do everything but pray together, right? Everything we could possibly, read every book we possibly could, but that husband of yours, that wife of yours, if you two pray, I think it might help. Don't you think? Matter of fact, I'm looking at 19, Matthew 19. It says something about being united as wife and the two become one flesh. That means you're already there. That's a great place. For agreement. How is it we become so familiar with one another we stop agreeing with one another in simple things like prayer? This is high yield seed. This is like nuclear power. We're talking about taking this seriously, right? How is it that the ones closest to us, even co workers, that's why sometimes I've had to really discipline ourselves and myself with regard to our staff meetings and stuff, because we have all this stuff to talk about, right? But look, it's in that room. All the leaders, why don't we just keep praying? That would help, right? And sometimes things get all, we get familiar, and we stop thinking about the nuclear power, and we just settle with conventional power. But half the things we talk about, maybe you could try it in your own staff meetings, your own business meetings. Why don't you include the Lord and have everybody pray about something? God might just clear up that accounting problem. God might just bring that mess into order. He might just do something absolutely spectacular how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity amen let's all stand that's why we always like to give a call for people to come forward for prayer it's amazing amazing how you could be a house of prayer and never pray <laughs> Enjoy everything there is, right? The word, the worship, but nobody prays for each other. Oh, man. I think that's crazy. That's even during our worship. That's a prime time, I think, for getting words to pray for one another, right? 
And I just think in light of this passage, if maybe I could have some of our people who just like to pray for each other, if you could just come up to the front and help us. And uh, just come on up wherever you are and face that way. And um, we've been reinstituting this as COVID's been waning and, and uh, even before that. And uh, so where two or three agree about anything, it'll be done for them. And in an atmosphere like this, we have seen so many miracles from ordinary conversation. Everybody suddenly thinks that the pastor is the one that needs to pray for them, and I don't mind doing that. But you know what? There's only one of me and a bunch of you, and I can't get to everyone. But oh, I think it didn't say the pastor in you. It just said two or three of you agree. <laughs> and actually, some of these that are up in the front now and my friends and others, uh, they actually are great, great prayer people. And uh, so I just think it would be a great thing, maybe a way the Lord might honor what I've even been saying today. In the God's house, even today, if you have something that you have a pressing need in, wouldn't it be something if God sort of underlined that whole thing and healed you or touched you or rearranged the situation just because you took an extra minute today and came up to the front and prayed with somebody about it, right? I don't have to teach some of you about this. Some of you do this routinely. It's just part of your nature. Others of us, men, what did I say? Did I say men? I didn't, did that slip out of my mouth? I think. Why is it that, I mean, I'm a man, so I don't want to accuse everybody of putting labels on us, but we, I just, uh, with regard to how we treat these sort of areas of both unity and prayer, just seems like we're a little slow, honestly. I don't know why. Hardened, I'm not sure. Oh, man. That's why the most important things we do around here are men's prayer meetings. Ladies, you should be kicking your husband out the door, making sure he gets there. Wouldn't you like your husband praying with you? Well, if he comes to the men's prayer meeting, we might even get him praying with you as he prays for your family and your household. Anywhere where there's a place where prayer is, wherever it is, in a house, in a home, in a family. Oh, the power of together. Together's better. It only takes two. How we have unnecessary trial and trouble because we don't get God up on his unity method, his team approach. Lord, I'm asking you today, this Sunday morning, just to underline what I've been saying just to make, put an exclamation point on it, I pray that people who get prayed for this very day in this meeting, whether it's the person standing next to them or they come up to the front, I pray, or in the room where they're at with the Zoom, maybe they're with a friend or they drive home and have someone pray for them. But I pray as a result of this, you would underline what I said and put an exclamation part and I point on it and I pray there would be breakthroughs all over this room just so people can understand that if they make this a habit, they're going to do a lot better. Even if you're new or just find one of these friendly faces or find someone next to you or whatever. So Lord, I just ask you today, Lord, that you would answer every prayer that's uttered up in this place that was already uttered and it's about to be uttered. Whether it's a prayer about family or money or whatever it is, even desperation. We come together now in a spirit of unity and I pray you would unite us 
as we pray, I pray you would make the heavens shake. I pray you would bind and loose. I pray you would go before us in battle. In Jesus' mighty name, I commission you. Pray with your wife. Pray with your husband. Pray with your children. Pray with your friends. Pray with your co-workers. Agree. Cause unity wherever you go. Try to be an agent of unity as best you can. Always ask the Holy Spirit to bring that conciliatory spirit even when people make it hard on you. In Jesus' name.